Hello and welcome to Bird Nerds, where we delve into the fascinating world of birds and share the joys of observing them. Hi, I am Adil. And I am Mariam. Adil is a bird nerd in the true sense. He can even make a visit to the grocery store a bird watching trip. Well, jokes apart, he loves to travel and is a seasoned bird watcher. He is also quite well informed about butterflies, snakes, and is a certified beekeeper. 2022 was his big year when he travelled the length and breadth of India, covering 23 states and union territories. He was able to spot over 900 birds in one year. He left no terrain unexplored, be it the cold desert of Ladakh or the dry Thar and Kutch deserts, sea coasts and deep seas, Andaman Islands, the Western Ghats, mangroves of Sundarbans and Vidarkanika, the Northeast or the Himalayan forests. He ranked as India's top birder and was also among the top two birders in Asia in 2022. Mariam has a unique eye for a bird watcher. While we may be busy scouting the bushes for hidden treasures, her eyes will scan the skies and cliffs for raptors, often catching a distant raptor's attention. We may have missed many birds of prey, if not for Mariam's nudge. She has accompanied me in many birding adventures to leech-infested forests, where the leeches have loved her blood, arid places such as the Kutch. Himalayan escapades and sometimes even waited along with me during heavy downpour to catch the glimpse of a rare leochikla or a quail. She is an accomplished birder with a species count of over 600 birds. Join us as we walk you through various habitats and exciting bird trails across India. In the past couple of weeks, we discussed and shared a few tips and sound bites about being a bird watcher, talked about the bird topography, and also explored eBird as a birding tool. This week, we are back to exploring a new habitat. Walking through a scrubland, passing by gardens and lawns, tree-lined streets, we have now reached a small pond in our city. Water bodies in urban areas, even as small, are like an oasis, thriving with life in and around. The shores of pools and streams are lined with mud flats, small and large rocks, tall grass reeds, both perfect for birds to rest, nest, perch, and hunt. Hyacinth covers a large portion of water tanks, especially in summer months. You will also find other aquatic plants like lilies, water chestnuts that is Singara or Panifal in Hindi. Deeper in the water, you will find islands of rocks, small rapids, pieces of wood, and unfortunately, plastic or other waste floating by. Also, it is teeming with bird activity. You may not hear the chirping and tweeting like in a garden, but look around and you will find ducks, storks, herons, sandpipers, kingfishers, ibises, and so many other graceful fisher birds. The list is endless. And before you say anything, Adil, yes, I have coined a new term, fisher birds. Very useful. People at Oxford Dictionary, please take a note. Yes, please do. And if you look at the small rocky islands, for sure, you will find a cormorant perched on one of those island rocks, wings spread out, drying itself. True. It is a common sight. That is usually the little cormorant. Not just drying themselves, but you will also find some swimming in deeper water looking for fish, diving in and disappearing underwater for a long time, 
only to come out at the other end. Cormorants are dark-colored water birds with long necks and bodies. They have small heads and hook-tipped bills. The little cormorant is larger than the juggle crow, glistening black all over with a small white patch on its throat and a long, stiff tail. It is a skilled underwater hunter and an expert diver. Once it has had its fill of fish, you will find them perched on a rock with their wings spread wide open, drying themselves. Well, not surprisingly, humans have also used the cormorant's fishing skills. In China and Japan, around 1300 to 1400 years back, cormorants were used as fishing companions. So people used to send cormorants into the river to fish for them. They used to tie a snare or collar on their throats so that the bird could only swallow smaller fish, but the larger fish was kept by the fishermen. This practice is known as ukai in Japan and it is still practiced during summer months around a dozen rivers in Japan, but it's mainly for tourism purposes, although it has raised a lot of ethical questions. Humans have always been very crafty, making others do their jobs. Yes, since time immemorial. Cormorant references also keep popping up in mythology and literature. In many cultures, they are considered as a symbol of nobility and indulgence. They were considered by fishermen as a good luck charm signaling a bountiful catch for the day. In Scandinavian countries, especially in Norway, the spirits of those deceased are believed to visit their dear ones in the form of cormorants. Three cormorants flying together are seen as a message from the deceased loved ones. In Northern European cultures, they are seen as good omens symbolizing luck, dedication and reliability. But on the contrary, some cultures view cormorants as a bad omen. Uh, for example, in Ireland, a cormorant perched on a church steeple is seen as a warning of bad luck. In English literature too, the cormorant has been used as a symbol of greed and deception, like in the works of John Milton's Paradise Lost, Shakespeare's Troilus and Cressida, and for that matter, Richard II. I think the reference to greed probably arises as the cormorant loves its fish. Good omen or bad, cormorants are certainly very famous birds. Also, Troilus and Cressida, ah, isn't that the opera in Dil Chata Hai? Yes, you are absolutely right. Bird and Bollywood trivia. We are not just bird nerds. We can be movie nerds too. <laughs> the Latin meaning of cormorant is raven of the sea. Mostly because of its size and dark color. In India also, the local names are on similar lines. For example, in Hindi, they are known as Pankawa, which literally means water crow. Similarly, other local names are Nirkagam in Tamil and Nitikaki in Telugu. One more thing about the cormorants that makes them excellent divers and fishers is their tail. They use their stiff tail feathers as rudders and wings as oars. Also, unlike other water birds, cormorants don't have enough preen oil on their feathers so they are not completely water resistant and their feathers get fully soaked, making them less buoyant while diving and helping them stay underwater longer. Thus, as their feathers get soaked, they are often seen on rocks and perches with their wings spread out to dry. Apart from the little cormorant, 
there is the indian cormorant and the great cormorant but both these are not as widespread as the little they will arrive shortly when we visit our next habitat such interesting creatures these cormorants however if you scan the waters you are likely to spot paddles of dabbling ducks one of the most common dabblers is the indian spot-billed duck quite large with light and dark brown scaly patterned plumage as the name indicates the bill has a yellow tip or spot and there is an orange red spot at the base of its bill it also has a prominent white and metallic green wing bar or the speculum if you remember in our episode what is a bird we talked about the speculum the glossy iridescent patch on a duck found on its wing feathers the indian spotbill duck has a metallic green speculum to know more about the speculum do listen to our episode titled what is a bird the spotbill duck feeds primarily on vegetable matter found on water surfaces like all dabbling ducks it appends itself in water when reaching down for food with its tail end sticking up above the water and the other half of the body submerged in water it is the most widely distributed duck found in india other examples of dabbling ducks are the common teal or the green winged teal mallard northern shoveler gargani besides many others these ones are winter visitors while the indian spotbill duck is a resident paddling alongside the indian spotbill ducks is a much smaller bird almost half the size of the spotbill duck and slightly larger than a pigeon The little greb is a plump aquatic bird with lobed feet. The breeding male has a prominent yellow gape and a yellow patch at the bill base, a glistening rusty brown neck, a short pointed bill and a nearly invisible tail. It has a dark brown cap and the underparts are white. Much like the cormorant, the little greb is an excellent diver and swimmer. it smoothly vanishes underwater without leaving so much as a ripple maybe that's why the hindi and bengali names like pandubi or dubdubi have come up it feeds on aquatic insects larvae tadpoles frogs and crustaceans as we glance closer to the land the bronze winged jacana can be seen gliding effortlessly on the hyacinth the lilies and the chestnuts jacanas are showbirds with extremely long toes and claws like a spiders which they use for walking on floating vegetation the widely spread toes help them in balancing their weight on floating leaves and stems the bronze winged jacana is a swamp bird with a glossy black head neck and breast as the name suggests the wings are metallic greenish bronze colored and the tail which is almost non-existent is red it has a prominent eyebrow starting from behind the eye and running till its nape giving company to the bronze wing jacana is its cousin the pheasant tail jacana as the name indicates during the breeding season it has a characteristic tail which is long thin pointed downward curved and black it also shows a white and chocolate brown plumage and a golden nape the head and throat are white and there is a black necklace like band on its upper breast In the non-breeding season, the brown and golden colors are paler, and the long tail is absent. Jacanas feast on seeds and roots of aquatic plants, insects, and mollusks. 
Now, if you have noticed in this episode, we are not describing or playing any bird calls or song. Water birds are mostly quiet with occasional honks and quacks. They are easily seen or visible when in water, dabbling or hunting. Their shape, size and plumage are useful for their field identification. So you mean to say GISs is more important for identifying water birds than their calls? Exactly. To know more about GISs, do listen to our episode What Makes a Good Bird Watcher. Good job Adil, plugging in hmm. one of our older episodes. Mariam, did you spot that movement in the tall grass near the shore? I can see a flash of red. Oh yes, the common moor hen or the Eurasian moor hen. Commonly known in Hindi as Jal Murghi or Pani Murghi, meaning a water hen. You will come across similar names in other regional languages such as Pankombadi in Marathi and Jal Kukri in Gujarati, both meaning a water hen. Larger than a francolin, the common moor hen is a marsh bird. It is blackish with white edges on its closed wings with prominent white undertail coverts. The forehead and the bill are bright red followed by a yellow tip. It has long green legs and large feet. The common moor hen is a resident bird and is found widely across India. Another hen commonly sighted in such parts is the white-breasted water hen. Similar in size to the moor hen, the white-breasted water hen is dark with a conspicuous white face, breast and belly. It has a rusty red vent and a stubbed tail. Unlike the moor hen, the white-breasted water hen has a yellow bill, with red only at the base of its bill. Legs too are yellow. Both the moor hen and the water hen are found near reeds, thickets, on marshy grounds, on the margins of ponds or lakes. In stark contrast to the water hens and the moor hens is another usual suspect. Pristine white in color with long legs, slender necks and pointed bills. I am sure you are talking about the egrets. There are several types of egrets, but today let's start with the little egret. It is a marsh bird that can be found perched on the shores of ponds, lakes and even rivers, silently and gracefully waiting for a fish or a frog or even an insect to fall for its prey. Little egrets are snowy white with a black bill, black legs and yellow feet. Quite diagnostic those feet. In the breeding season, the male has a long drooping crest of two narrow plumes, that is feathers, as well as it has dainty ornamental feathers on its back and breast. Little egrets roost on treetops. There is also the cattle egret, which is not necessarily found by water bodies, but looks similar to the little egret in non-breeding season. Yes, the cattle egret is also pure white in color with a slender neck. But its bill is yellow in color unlike the little egret that has a black bill. It is easier to distinguish between the two during the breeding season. The breeding adult has an orange buff head, neck and back. Even the bill is orangish. In flight, egrets pull in their long necks just like herons. I am sure you would have heard the local Hindi names like Surghiya Bagla, Gai Bagla, Badami Bagla or just Bagla. Cattle egrets roost communally on trees. The local names Surkhya or Badami seem to have been derived from its orangish color in breeding plumage. However, the name Gai Bagla 
or cattle egret points to the friendship this bird enjoys with grazing cattle. Cattle egrets can be found running alongside or riding on the backs of grazing cattle or herd of large mammals like elephants and rhinos. They feed on insects disturbed by the cattle's movement in grass and even eat ticks off the backs of the cows, buffaloes or elephants they are riding on. In fact, there are so many stories about their friendship. They are also known to trail farm equipment like tractors, eating insects disturbed by the movement caused by them. They seem to have adapted well to technology. What say? Maybe it's just the insects they are after and not very interested in cattle as friends. Oh, the betrayal. Hmm. I hope these innocent cows realize their folly very soon. Oh, too much drama here. Did you know egret feathers were in great demand in Europe and America? Their gossamer-like snowy white breeding plumes were sought after for ladies' headdresses, hats and other ornamental purposes. These were mostly from the species known as the snowy egret and the great egret. And not just egrets, feathers from terns and herons were also used. Yes, I read about this. This was in the 19th and early 20th century when scores of birds were killed just for their feathers, all in the name of vanity. I also have another interesting story related to this. There was an ornithologist in New York named Frank Chapman. In 1886, he walked along the streets of the city and made note of the type of birds seen on ladies' hats. So when I say type of birds, I mean he counted the wings, feathers, even heads and entire bodies of birds on hats. Extremely morbid fashion choices, I must say. So in total, he found 40 different bird species decorating these hats. I must say, what a horrific fashion choice. Well, thankfully, people, especially women, became aware about these atrocities and eventually the wild feather trade was outlawed. This movement has its own history, which is very interesting. With humans, everything takes its course in due time. So far, we have talked about ducks, egrets, water hens. All of them hunt in the water or forage around swampy banks, having long legs, special bills and even feet adaptations. But the next on our list is a small bird that you will find bobbing or rather wagging its tail and looking for insects along the banks or sometimes even atop buildings, singing or even foraging by the swimming pool. Let's hear it sing. Scan the banks carefully and you'll find a sparrow-sized bird, the white-browed wagtail, chasing insects. It is black above with a black throat, a white eyebrow and a white belly and white wing panels. The tail is long, black above and white below. The white-browed wagtail is a resident species found across India in open habitats, usually near water bodies. In fact, other wagtails like the grey wagtail, the yellow wagtail and the citrine wagtail are all fond of water and can be spotted close to water bodies both large and small. We'll talk about them in our upcoming episodes. Some other common birds that you are sure to spot near such water bodies are the Indian pond heron, white-throated kingfisher, common kingfisher, and if there are shrubs or tall trees along the banks, 
you will spot the usual tree birds like the bulbuls, mynas, tailor bird, sunbirds, spotted owlet and many others. You can check our previous episodes to know more about them and many such other birds. Mariam, since you mentioned kingfisher, we cannot not talk about the pied kingfisher. Although not as colorful as the white-throated kingfisher or the common kingfisher, the pied kingfisher is extremely beautiful in its own way and like others is a hunter-fisher par excellence. It is speckled and barred black and white all over with a white brow and a black crest. Males have two black breast bands or gorgets while the female has one gorget broken in the middle. As with all kingfishers, the pied kingfisher also has a typical stout dagger-shaped bill perfect for fishing. It can be found by slow-flowing streams, tanks, ponds and even ditches. It has a unique fishing style where it hovers around 10 meters above water, almost seeming stationary while waiting for its prey. So if you see it in this stance, it will look like as if the kingfisher is standing mid-air, balancing on its tail. As soon as a fish is at a striking distance, it hurls itself into the water, wings pulled at its side, and splash. Once the fish is caught, our friend finds a rock nearby to batter its prey and then feast on it. This week, we have seen some ducks, grebs, cormorants, egrets, wagtails, kingfishers, and water hens. But this is just the tip of the iceberg. Our other fisher bird friends, like Mariam would have said, storks, ibises, perching ducks, and whistling ducks, herons, are all nearby and waiting for us in the next episode. Well, as usual, there are always more birds to discuss than we have time. So let's wrap up this episode. We hope you enjoy listening to our chatter. Please check our Instagram pages for photographs of all the birds we have discussed in this episode as well as the previous ones. You'll find them as a compilation in our feed. All photographs have been clicked by my very talented co-host Adil. We will be back next Thursday with another refreshing episode where we will continue our bramblings about birds. Hey, you two have become a birdsmith. I mean a wordsmith. So stick with us and we'll take you along on wonderful birding trails across India. And as your understanding grows, we'll spice it up with other facets of being outdoors. Make sure to follow us on our Instagram pages. You can follow me on peregrinator.in that is P-E-R-E-G-R-I-N-A-T-O-R dot I-N And you can follow me on Mariam's Pick Clicks that is M-A-R-I-A-M-S P-I-C as in pick, C-L-I-C-K-S as in clicks. You can check our show description for our social media handles. Make sure to like, share and subscribe to our podcast on platforms of your choice, be it Hubhopper, Spotify, Amazon Music, GeoSavan, Ghana or even Google Podcasts. So make sure to tune in next week. Till then, happy birding! And a happier feeling! Goodbye! (laughs) 